Welcome back, Amazon sellers, to another exciting episode of our podcast. Today, our special guest is Vlad, a newer seller that left his job painting commercial airplanes to pursue a career selling on Amazon and has now hit over seven figures. Join us as we learn how Vlad was able to grow his Amazon business in arbitrage and is now launching his second private label product. This episode will give you practical advice you can use right away to scale up your online business. Check it out. Welcome to the next Amazon Top Seller Podcast. Stay updated with the latest Amazon news and learn the nitty gritty of selling on Amazon through Be Cool's years of experience in the Amazon world. I'm Nick, and I'm the host of this podcast brought to you by the fantastic Amazon experts at Be Cool. Let's start our journey to become the next Amazon top seller. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Today, Bikul invited a very special Amazon seller who used to be aircraft painter and now he moved to be an Amazon entrepreneur. So today he will share with us like how did he start his Amazon business, how he's able to find profitable items all the time, and then how he built his successful business. So ladies and gentlemen, let's welcome Vlad on our channel. Hey, Vlad, how are you? Hey, man. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Yes, our pleasure to have you on our channel. So can you introduce yourself first? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, my name is Vlad. I'm a full-time Amazon seller. I started selling around 2021 when the whole world went on lockdown, more or less. You know, we were out of work temporarily and uh, that's how it all started. And, you know, eventually, well, like six to eight months later, I ended up started making more money doing Amazon than I was working my job, which was like 60 hours a week, you know, painting airplanes. It was kind of cool, but it was tiring. 12 hour days and night shifts and stuff like that. But uh, was it Amazon business your first business that you tried to do or you tried something else uh, before? Yeah, Amazon. I've tried multiple things online before, you know, nothing really became successful or anything like that. Amazon was definitely one of the things that I tried that I took seriously that I put in a lot of time, effort and money in. How did it all start with Amazon business? Like what was the first step? And then like, was it uh, oh, yeah. retail arbitrage first? Yeah, going back to the whole COVID thing, when we were sitting at home, I was just scrolling on TikTok and I saw a little bit about, you know, reselling online and I've sold stuff on Facebook marketplace here and there, but I haven't, you know, really ever, you never even knew about selling on Amazon. A lot of people don't, you know, when people ask, Hey, where'd you buy it? People just say Amazon. They don't realize that, you know, two thirds of all sellers are private sellers, you know, smaller sellers like myself and smaller companies. But I found a TikTok that talked about a little bit about it, ended up buying a course later. That was kind of a little bit of a mess because that guy kind of ended up ghosting the group later. He was just a course seller, never really uh -huh. thought a lot of people there. Uh, that didn't really stop me. I found another person who actually, you know, ended up being my mentor. I paid him to teach me properly how to really do it right. And um, from there, that's when it really kind of helped me getting the proper mentorship and it took off my Amazon journey. And do you remember like how much money did you start with your Amazon business? Yeah, uh, my first purchases actually just went around to Ross and Marshall's just scanning random stuff to see what I can buy. I think I bought like seven freezer lights. That was my first ever uh, purchase from Ross to sell on Amazon. They were those little as seen on TV. And I'd never recommend anybody buy those now because they're an IP violation waiting to happen. But at that time, you know, I didn't know and I didn't have necessarily the right coaching, but it was probably, you know, 30, 40 bucks when I, that was my first ever shipment. I think I lost money on that one because I sent those seven items in and it cost me more to send them in because they got split up into three different shipments. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, uh, but it didn't matter, you know, that time, 
when the first few sales came in, it was exciting to see. And eventually, once I seen those seven items sell, that was enough proof of concept for me. Hey, this works. And I started slowly buying more and more items. So it was never one full amount of money. I just slowly began buying inventory. So, I mean, I would say a couple thousand in the first month or two. And then from there on, it just kept buying more, reinvesting more money and, you know, taking the money that I was working 50, 60 hours a week and putting that little bit of that every week into the Amazon business. Small amounts growing exponentially larger over time. Okay, perfect. And then like, did you start with uh, retail arbitrage first? Yep, pretty and much retail arbitrage, mostly, you know, Ross Marshalls. I was scanning a lot of like Nike stuff. I saw a lot of Nike clothes, um, Under Armour. That was, uh, that's how I started. And what do you think about those business models? Like how do they are different and like what? Yeah, it all depends, you know, how much capital you have, I think for the most part. And of course, experience. Uh, retail arbitrage is the easiest way to start because you can buy those products you'll have in your hand right away and you can you know, send them in the same day or the next day to Amazon. You know, you don't have to order it, wait for the products to come in like you do online, you know, and you know, have potential price tanking. So with online arbitrage, there's a little bit more barrier to entry. You do get access to more products. I would say from everyone that I know who still does retail arbitrage, they have a lot higher margins just because they can source certain products are, you know, on clearance or on sale that I can't get necessarily get online. Uh, wholesale. I also know people who do wholesale. Their margins are a little bit slimmer. Some supposedly have more and it just requires more capital and of course, relationships with suppliers. The few wholesale accounts that I had, I didn't have good luck. A lot of their pricing were almost the same as retail. Some of those products I was actually able to get cheaper through Walmart than they mm -hmm. had at the wholesale price. So I think that just might be the suppliers that I had at that time, but I know others who have, you know, good wholesale distributors. Wholesale is definitely a good business model as well. I'm not hating on it. It's just, uh, it's just not something that I do at the moment. And in terms of private label, I think it's great as well. I'm slowly adding more and more products. It's just very consuming on cash in terms of ad spend. You know, I spent like $5,000 just in ads the first four or five months just to get oh, that wow. product, to get sales, to get reviews, to get ranking. And, you know, now it's finally becoming profitable where my ACOS is, you know, all in line and making me money. So it's not necessarily the most beginner friendly because it's capital intensive and mm. private label there's still no guarantee that you're going to be profitable, you know? And then like for private label, like how do you usually like uh, look for the product? Like how do you decide this is the product I want to try out to sell? Uh, I actually also just got some mentorship on that um, mm -hmm. and combined a lot of my knowledge that I have with online arbitrage as well. So I got my two products that I have right now. One of them still on the way. I haven't made any sales. It's my second new product. My first one's a reorder. And my goal is to just add, continuously keep adding and testing different products. Um, there's just a few criteria that I go off of based on based on what I've learned. I'm still in the trial and error phase. So by no means I'm a private label expert. Yeah, um, right, right. I'm a private label beginner, but definitely uh, most of my knowledge is in all the online arbitrage. How did you learn about the product sourcing? Because I think this is the most important part for the Amazon business. So what was the process of you to learn about the product sourcing, how to find the profitable items and so on? Absolutely, yeah. Uh, for me, that came down to mentorships. In the past like 18 months, I probably spent close to twelve dollars to $15,000 on different coaches and mentors. They really taught me different ways a lot of the different methods that they use. Um, I think that's what really helped me. I don't know if I'd be here without them. Just free YouTube videos as well. You know, there's a lot of guys in the space who make YouTube videos that are completely free. I watch plenty of those myself. Trial and error. 
becomes experience over time um, as you take what you learn, combine it with your own knowledge, practice, and uh, you get where you are over time. Yeah, right, right. And if you take the coach, it's much easier because you don't have to try it on yourself and do like those mistakes that they did. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm not against coaching at all. You know, it is a little bit of an issue in a space. You got to be careful who you take it from. There's a lot of fake gurus, that, that, you know, mm -hmm. or coaches who coach you but they don't actually do you know the selling themselves or anything like that finding the right people in that space once you do though you should have no issues you know spending whatever amount of money you think it's worth you know or whatever value you're getting you don't have to you know again we have youtube nowadays but for me with coaching i liked it it helped me out build my network out as well i think that was the biggest thing so and what do you think is a good criteria for the coach like how do you choose the good coach for the amazon just follow the ones you know TikTok, instagram youtube that are already giving you free value so free mm -hmm. help those who will offer any kind of guidance already, uh, those are legit. But if you just see the ones that are running random ads at you with, they have no proof, you know, of any kind of sales history or the fact that they run an Amazon business, I would just avoid those guys. Mm -hmm. Okay, perfect. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. Yep. And then, like, what do you think is the key to sec to scale up on Amazon? It's definitely money. Um, so as my business began to grow. One thing that really helped me kick it into gear and even go full time was getting a loan. Uh, at that time, I was able to actually, when I started out with my own cash, I was able to get to like 15 to 25,000 in sales at that time. And by the time I got to that point, probably four or five months in, I was able to go to my local bank, show them those numbers, you know, that way the banker seen everything like, okay, this works. You already have a business that's operating. And I was you know, already profitable at that time. It was not too much, but nonetheless, it was enough for them. And uh, I was able to get a $20,000 loan. They were giving away, away as well, because this was, you know, right during the whole pandemic issue. So I got an SBA loan and um, I took that money, started buying way more inventory, you know, sending FBA, FBM. And that's kind of how I've been able to scale it to where I am now. And I'm not the biggest seller, you know, I've had a little bit of a plateau. That's my own fault, not necessarily, you know, I kind of chose to be where I am right now, where I'm comfortable being at, you know. All right. So, yeah, I think this is a good suggestion for the people. And then, like, when it comes to the repricing, like, when did you start to use the repricer for your Amazon business? Yeah. So the repricer started eventually once I had a certain amount of ASINs and it began really get annoying when people start undercutting me by a penny. And mm. I was... Um, you know, I wasn't getting the buy box anymore. And I tried one repricer, it didn't work, ended up uh, coming across Be Cool. And at that time, I don't remember when AI was introduced. Maybe, was it early 2021? Do you remember? Or was it early? Yeah, I think like a few years ago. First was AI it? was maybe, and maybe that's when I probably seen it and probably when I joined. And that's actually one of my favorite features about Be Cool is using the AI repricer. Uh, AI profit boosters, like what I use 90% on all my listings. I messed with a few other ones, you know, with a little bit of the settings, but in my experience, the AI profit booster have worked so well for me, uh, you know, besides adjusting a few minimum maximums once in a while. It, and, you know, ever since I got it, it was a complete game changer because of my buy box wins. You kind of set it and forget it type of deal. The perfect example was today, you know, there was one product that kind of tanked in price. So I set my min and max and kind of forgot about it for about a week. And I checked it today, you know, for $41.99. I see it's at $49.99. That's a big price jump. And, you know, those the price tankers sold out, you know, and I knew where I wanted to be at. Well, once they all sold out, they just brought it up for me. So <laughs> that was just kind of cool to see. And I was like, 
that's something I'll mention in the video today that, and if you don't have that repricer, right. And you have it set at that certain price, if say still at a 41.99, all those guys sold out, I would have just kept selling at that 49.99. I would have never captured those extra seven, $8 per unit worth of profit. You know, it was a pretty fast moving product as well. So five to 10 units a day. So it was a significant amount of money, you know, $8 on 10 units, 80 bucks. So yeah, right. right. Yeah, I, paid <laughs> I almost paid for the air pricer for one month, literally, you know, just those couple of hours of repricing and especially because uh, it, when you have like a lot of listings like it's it's going to be really hard for you to reprice it and track Absolutely. all the listings really yeah, yeah. it'll get tiring annoying and sometimes you can't you know sometimes you get busy you do something you forget about it for one or two mm. hours a lot of sales happen in those one or two hour period especially you're selling a significant amount of inventory because i'm selling probably about 2000 units a month maybe more i'd have to check my last 30 day of sales or more the repricer makes a huge difference those pennies mm. start to add up once you start getting into the thousands of units per month. Right. And your time is more valuable. Like you don't want to spend your time on <laughs> yeah. pricing. Yeah, yeah, the repricer will do 24 7, 365, you know, mm. and I'm going to take days off where I don't want to think about Amazon or repricing. And also, I'm kind of curious about how do you set min and max prices for your listings? Yeah. Um, over time, I developed a little bit of a strategy, and I think that AI repricers gotten better probably as well on this. Um, I will set my minimum maximum based on the number of sellers and their stock as well, just because I don't want to completely get into any kind of bidding war and tank the price, you know, myself, I'll set my price, my minimum, a couple of dollars, you know, above my break even, and then my maximum anywhere, you know, so it doesn't hit the pricing error and deactivate the listing. Usually that's, you know, just something reasonable, what, you know, or I'll already look at keep a history and see what the max price was in the past and set it to that and let it do its thing. Um, if I notice, and I check my repricers or my listings regularly, pretty much daily, I'll look through all my ASINs. If I notice it's at its minimum, usually I'll know because I set everything at 99. So it'll be, you know, 41.99 at the minimum. So if I see a 99, I'll be like, oh, well, that's my minimum. And I, uh, I'll check to see what's going on. Oh, it's two sellers who tanked it, you know, below that price, but he has three in stock. The other guy has four. They're going to sell out by the end of the day. And okay, so I'll leave it at that. If there's a big seller with two, 300 units that came in, which does happen, you know, drop the price a little bit lower, break even, get out of that listing and uh, wait for them to sell out or for the price to go up, then I'll send them more inventory. But with the AI repricer, it's so easy for the most part, as long as you watch your minimum and adjust it based on the other seller stock, you can't lose money. Yeah, right, yeah. right. I heard people make mistakes while they accidentally put the wrong number, but that's not the repricer's fault. That's, you know, human error. So yeah. <laughs> and then like when it comes to the price tanking, because I just mentioned, like, how do you usually try to avoid price tanking for the listings? And what do you usually do when price tanks? Uh, I'll try never to set my repricer, like I said, to my break even. It'll always be a couple of dollars below. Um, and I do want to keep selling my inventory, um, depending on you know what it is, if or how much margin I have on that product, or if it's a one-time flip or a replenishable, right? It makes a little bit of a difference of how I set my repricer. A lot of the times you can, it, they'll even match the buy box, you know, especially the AI profit booster, you get into maximizer. I think it, I believe you can also adjust that in settings. That way it doesn't undercut the competition and you have the penny war going down. Although that does happen sometimes, even when it does, it'll, I periodically see it just starts bumping it back up over time. So that's kind of my way of avoiding the price tanking is just watching the price on a regular basis and not completely, you know, setting it to my break even. Mm -hmm. If I have to get out, that's fine. You know, I'll still set, you know, whatever the break even price is. And I try to 
watch that though. You know, I'll watch other sellers talk and the seller count on Keepa. That way, you know, if I see a drastic spike, I don't send any more units. That way I'm not stuck holding a lot of inventory. All right. And yeah. That's price thinking. Yeah, that's a good way. And then like uh, when it comes to the busy seasons, like how do you usually reprice it then? Yeah. Um, make sure that as you know, like I said, watch seller count as well. That's another big one. One thing I'm doing right now, or even recently, I actually did that after I saw that product. I saw the seller count completely go down, so I raised my minimum completely again on the repricer that way, and I raised my maximum because I noticed one of my items actually hit a maximum price. And as we get closer to Q4, or we're already in Q4, but as we get closer to November, December, a lot of the people are gonna start running out of stock as volume picks up and the facilities are taking forever to check in. Make sure, I would say to anybody, you know, make sure you raise your maximum prices for sure, um, both on your minimum and on your maximum, the higher prices being prime, so. All right, okay. And then like when it comes to the less busy season, such as Q1 or Q2, like how do you usually reprice it? And At that point, it just goes back to me watching the seller count and making sure I don't send in too much inventory. That's going to be the big one is don't sell, don't send in a ton of items, you know, in February or, you know, as we go off of January, they slow down. I did make sure I don't send too many units. And I make sure I watch the seller count as well, especially, you know, seasonal products, toys, anything that's giftable, you know, anything that's seasonal, completely avoid sending it in. Don't even send it in past, you know, in December at that point. So, but my repricing strategy just changes back to watching it, setting my minimum maximum correctly and adjusting those as needed. All right. Okay. Yeah. This is a good way. And then like when it comes to the winning the buy box, do you have like a specific strategy that you use? The, you know, the biggest thing for me is obviously being FBA and being FBA in stock. Once, you know, another thing with winning the buy box, I will win the buy box sometimes multiple dollars above other FBA sellers, mostly because they're new and my account is more established or I have more stock as well. You know, so sometimes the whole undercutting by penny once one penny doesn't necessarily work for other people because not only when the other sellers are on back order, but if they're newer sellers, they're not going to be able to compete with somebody who's, you know, a bigger seller selling it because Amazon will let you get the buy box um, even slightly higher price because they get a higher fee as well. So they're taking home the bigger referral fee from that higher price. And that's some, one of the tips that one of my mentors told me and I tested it out and it was really surprising. You know, it was interesting to see that, especially right now during Q4, I've noticed that today there was a you know, two items that I'm selling and it happened. I was priced at 54.99. It's a toy product and the buy box was actually 49.99, but I had four total sales at 54.99. You know, that's a huge difference. And that's just Amazon for whatever reason, you know, maybe my stock was closer. Those others kind of run out and being priced higher sometimes when you're on back order as well. I think that's important. So that's why you got to make sure set that max price so that your pricer can do that because be cool knows when you're on back order as well. I think that's another cool thing is once I run out of inventory, it'll, I'll go from whatever my break even or if it's minimum price, you know, or whatever I was winning the buy box at, it'll shoot me back up in price. Sometimes that'll That'll and I'll still keep winning the buy box and then I'll get one or two sales at the higher price as well. I thought that was really cool. So that's definitely a cool feature of be cool as well. And then like uh, when it comes to the other tools, like what kind of tools do you use for your Amazon business? Yeah, I keep it simple. Um, Keepa, you know, it's the most important one. Uh, I know a lot of people use SellerAmp, but I use uh, Rev Seller. It's a little bit older. Um, but it's simpler to use. That's just how I learned. I've also tried seller amp. It's a pretty good one. And uh, be cool. So those are really are my three main. I got my Keepa, my Ref Seller, and uh, my Be Cool repricer. I also use Inventory Lab 
for sending in my shipments and tracking my profit and loss. Um, that's pretty important. Uh, otherwise, those are my three or you know four favorite softwares to use. And when it comes to deciding like which product to purchase uh, to resell, like do you usually look at Keepa or Revseller? Yeah, I, I use both of them together. You know, make my buying decision on that. I look at Keepa to see if the seller count is going up, going down, or if it's flatline. You know, the most important thing, the 90-day price, seller stock count. I've seen listings where it looks good, but there's a seller with 550 units, you know, on that listing. I'm not going to send in too many units on that one. You know, I'll send them just a few to test. But in my experience, a lot of those guys with a lot of units in stock, if you try to compete with them, they'll completely tank the price just because they're getting it at wholesale or they're buying pallets, you know, they're getting good deals and uh, they're able to lower that price a little bit more. But, you know, between Keepa and Revseller, that's really how I make my buying decisions. All right. That sounds good. And then still you see yourself to be an Amazon seller, like in five or even 10 years. I really think, you know, e-commerce is going to continue going the way it is. And my goal with this is not to continue flipping, you know, OA and o from five years from now, but it's to have my private label brands, you know, up and running. So a lot of part of the money that I'm making from online arbitrage and from selling is going to fund my private label products. So, and, you know, once those are funded, I'll continue selling them on Amazon, however long it may be, three, five, 10 years, you know, however long Amazon's around, which I don't see them going anywhere. And, uh, you know, as long as I don't decide to sell, the brands become good, then I'm going to keep them selling, you know. So you want to build your own brands on private label. And what do you think is the most challenging part with the private label? It, it can take some time. You know, I launched them, my first product, April. And right now we are in October. So it took me, you know, that period of time to even see profits. And in between that time, I've had thousands of dollars, you know, not only in inventory, but thousands of dollars went into ad spend. So for a lot of people, it's going to be capital for private label. The barrier to entry is, you know, minimum five to $10,000. If somebody's starting in private label with no knowledge, I think there's even a higher chance of them not making it and losing that five, $10,000. You know, I know a lot of OA guys or even wholesale guys, they add private label products as icing on the cake. So to say, you know, although there's plenty of successful private label guys that only do private label, but for your average Amazon seller, it's going to be easier for them to start an arbitrage retail, you know, online, and then slowly add private label products and mm. build that up all the time because then they can use the profits, you know, like me, I, the advertising cost, all of that just came out of, my Amazon balance, you know, and my inventory lab just showed me, okay, this month's cost of advertising was, you know, $1,200 and came out of my balance. You can see my profit and loss and everything. And uh, whether as someone who's just launching one private label product, they're going to be paying that out of pocket. That's going to be charged to their credit card. They're going to be responsible, you know, coming up with that cash. And if they don't have a lot of cash and they were hoping that product will work, they can really ruin themselves and just their whole Amazon private label experience in general. So, yeah, I totally agree with you. And yeah, I think like, Amazon uh, private label is quite challenging, but uh, maybe I like think in it's the hardest way to start selling on Amazon. It's definitely yeah, private yeah, label. Yeah. And, and, uh, you know, and it's alluring to everybody, right? Oh, my own brand, you know, mm. I'll sell it for millions of dollars later, but man, it's not necessarily that, that easy. And it's capital intensive. Whether as mm. arbitrage, you can start with a hundred bucks, get your proof of concept, continue with a few thousand. And as you're selling, you're already being profitable, you know, for the most right, part. Right. Got, you know the right help uh, now Vlad I want to ask you about like your social media channels because I know that yeah. you also share on your platforms about selling on Amazon so can you tell us more about this yeah uh, I shared a little bit uh, mostly on my Instagram and a little bit on YouTube channel modern reselling um, is where I've been most active on Instagram I just shared you know kind of my experience the journey 
Um, a lot of people do it and connected with a lot of both other sellers and businesses as well. And a lot of people kind of reached out to help. I told them how to get started. I've helped a few other people get started. I shared a little bit about that on Instagram and YouTube. I haven't posted recently. I haven't been super active on there, mostly because I had, I just took a lot of time off in the summer. Just haven't got back into it. I'll probably start posting again, but there's plenty of content on there and I'm still active, you know, if somebody messages me. All right. So yeah, we're going to make sure to put the links in the description. So guys, make sure to go and follow Vlad on his channels. We're getting to the end of our webinar today. So thank you so much, Vlad, for sharing like all the tips and strategies and your story on Amazon. I think it was great. Yeah. Hey, thanks. I appreciate thanks, you having Vlad. me here. Sam, that's mm. it, man. Hey, Amazon sellers. I hope you enjoyed this incredible episode with our fantastic guest, Vlad. We created these great interviews so that you can gain the most valuable insight into Amazon's business. While other Amazon sellers spend years accumulating experience, you can listen to their stories and learn valuable tips in a fraction of the time. So make sure to listen to other podcasts on our channel. To watch the full interview where Vlad shares how he reached seven figures and is now launching his second private label product, make sure to visit and subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you have an Amazon business and need help winning the buy box to get more sales, join our community and try out a 14-day free trial for the best vehicle AI repricer and become the next Amazon top seller. See you soon. Thank you for listening. If you would like to stay connected with our weekly new episodes, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, follow us on Spotify, or any other streaming platform you prefer. Let's continue our journey to become the next Amazon top seller 